Wicked Curious Radio with Roxy's Wicker is a Patreon-supported podcast. Please go to patreon.com, Roxy's Wicker, for more information about the great benefits that you will find becoming a patron of this show. Thank you for your support. Well, hello, friends, fans, and fiends. It is I, Roxy Zwicker, your mystery maven from New England Curiosities, welcoming you to another show that features the macabre, the mysterious, and of course, the spooky. I hope that you have had a um, spectacular Halloween and a spooky holiday season. Um, and I'm so glad to be back with you once again. And first off, um, I definitely, it's overdue. I wanted to thank those of you who had come out um, this year to a tour or a talk or an event. Um, it was it was so fantastic to meet so many of you um, that are faithful listeners to this show. Um, to hear your comments and your feedback has really, really been wonderful. So um, I really, really appreciate that. It has really been such an exciting time um, with the release of my latest book, the Vermont Book of the Dead, Graveyard Legends and Lore. I mean, what a a great ride it has been to pop over to Vermont and do some book signings. And of course, our book release party was over in Vermont as well. So it was great to see that come completely full circle. So um, if you haven't gotten a copy um, of that book yet, if you haven't picked one up, um, please feel free to reach out to me. I have some extra copies um, in my stock here. And of course, um, we can get you uh, all set up to purchase one and get a signed copy. So you'll have a little something to carry you through on these long, dark nights. (laughs) But um, I am also hard at work on the edits for my next book, which will be out in the spring of 2024, which I'll tell you a little bit about at um, at the end of today's show. But I also wanted to mention that I am um, super grateful for all of the attention that New England Curiosity has received over the past few months. Um, we were named one of the top 50 things to do for the fall season by HGTV. And we're also named um, one of the top 10 ghost tours in the entire United States by Fox News. So um, I don't take those accolades um, very lightly. It is um, really amazing to see that every now and again, we get a little bit of national attention for, um, you know, what we just love to do here. And also, This year marks uh, 30 years that I have been telling ghost stories professionally. So it's been, um, you know, it's been quite a journey and a really long time since the Haunted Hayrides took groups out to the spooky cranberry bogs into the woods 
gathered around a roaring bonfire um, while I shared some, you know, spooky ghost stories while everybody dined on deadly donuts and spider cider. Um, I think there's this uh, great saying, you know, never forget your roots. And I, I definitely I can't even um, can't even begin to uh, be grateful for this incredible journey. Um, I probably couldn't uh, duplicate this path again, but um, it's really great and it's awesome to have you on um, this lifetime journey. So it is time for some spooky stories and we'll give you a few updates in between as we go along for this week's show. So as always, it is now time to settle in, turn off the lights if you dare, And uh, let's see what spooky things we can uh, conjure up for tonight's show. Our first ghost story dates back to 1913 and comes from the state of Connecticut. There is scarcely a town in New England that doesn't boast some sort of haunted house. Hampton is no exception. Seventy years ago, it had a genuine one, and there are people living today in Norwich, as well as in Hampton, who are terrified by the scenes in this haunted house. It stands today as an old tumble-down structure in the southern part of town, in Howard Valley, just east of the three bridges on the road leading to Canterbury. It has not been habitable for many years, this little old gambrel-roofed house with its shingled sides and ghostly air, sunken door sills, gaping window frames, and sagging roof. Tradition says that a hundred years ago, or even more, that a peddler was murdered in the old house. Anyway, he disappeared mysteriously after having lodged in the house, and when the uncanny sights and sounds were heard, his memory was revived as being the uneasy ghost which was haunting the place. One story goes that a family living there moved out because of the weird noises heard at nights. One day, the woman going into the cellar noticed a sword protruding out of the thick walls of the chimney. Wondering why she had never noticed that before, she took a hold of it and tried to pull it out when an awful groaning and shuddering sound echoed throughout the entire house. Terrified, she fled upstairs and told her husband, who at once went into the cellar but failed to see the sword. Although he had heard the groans and spooky sounds, naturally they moved out as soon as possible. The next family had an even weirder experience. Sounds such as water dripping from the ceiling of the rooms, drip, 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 were often heard in the daytime as well as night. The front door, which opens into a small entry, would never stay fastened all night, no matter how many pains were taken to lock it securely. Nails driven over the latch would be removed, A knife placed in the latch to prevent it from being lift would also prove to be no avail. The door was always found to be open when morning came. 
In the night, all over the house, the latches would rattle mysteriously. Going to the doors to investigate, the rattling would cease, only to commence again immediately. Up and down and up and down, the latches would rattle as if impish hands were delighting in keeping the family from sleeping all night long. East of the entry opens a long room. Before the south window, which was the front window, the good woman of the house kept her spinning wheel. Her bed stood against the east wall, and a small fireplace was built on the west side into the big center chimney. One evening, some neighbors, having come into the kitchen, she opened from the kitchen into the bedroom to take out an extra chair. Her little seven-year-old daughter followed her, as did also a small white dog, which was a little girl's pet. They saw what appeared to them to be the bowed figure of a man outside the window, peering into the room. In a second, it seemed to come into the window right between the spokes of the wheel and rolling over and over again, a headless, hairy body of a man. It vanished with a wishing noise right up the chimney. The child remembers it perfectly, and also her terrible fright that she felt at seeing such a strange sight. The dog bristled and barked furiously, and the mother was as frightened as the child. The man of the house did not believe in ghosts, and he dismissed the story. But one night, some time later, he was awakened by something heavy falling on him from the ceiling. In horror, he saw that it was the same headless, hairy thing which had frightened his wife and child, and it vanished into the fireplace with the same wishing sound. That frightened him, and he decided he was going to move out with his family that night. For many years, the house was tenantless, and about 30 years ago, a man committed suicide there. One of the younger generation had not heard the stories and could not have been influenced by them. Only a few of the old people know the story about the haunted house. This tale is related by my father, Ebenezer Jewett, who said it was a matter of absolute credence. Everyone knew about it. Everyone knew that it was the haunted house. Perhaps, if the house is ever demolished, a skeleton will be found in its chimney, as was found in another house not far from there several years later. There are other ghost stories of Hampton, but this is probably the best known of any. Signed, Susan Jewett Howe. Our next story comes from Marshfield, Massachusetts, and dates back to November of 1900. And the headline of the story read, The townspeople have firm belief in a weird story about Marshfield's haunted house. The haunted house in Marshfield has attracted attention for almost two centuries. The story is a weird one, but Marshfield people say that it is true, particularly the older residents in town. For generations, people have walked by this deserted dwelling in fear and trembling with fright. It has not been occupied for years, but was recently purchased by Dr. Herbert Lindley, a Baltimore physician, and by next spring, he is hoping to transform it into one of the finest dwellings in Marshfield. 
Apparently, he's quite heroic, that Dr. Lindley, for he knows no ghosts. Two hundred rough New England winters have touched with icy fingers its two rude shingled stories, have carried away its old-time blinds and ruined the proud front doorway built in the days of long ago. None but daring schoolboys plodding home at noontime or at nightfall from the little box on the hill have dared ventured into it for years. And in truth, it is rather hard to get inside the mansion in any way, for the lower windows are shuttered with time-stained boards, and there is but a single opening through one of those that allows access for the schoolboys if they wanted to go in. It is said, and tradition tells the story, that the house was built in the early days of the 17th century by a poor man whose life in many years brought him into ill repute with the powers that were in Plymouth Town not many miles away. The owner was taken prisoner and put in jail, but was later allowed his freedom upon his promise that he would leave the country. As the tale runs, he went away to the provinces to make his fortune. He was successful by his own imagination and in a few years had accumulated something in the neighborhood of $80,000. A deep-seated longing seized him to see once more the old home on the low-lying land in Marshfield. He chartered a schooner and set sail from a provincial town for the coast of Massachusetts and landed on Situate about six miles from the present town. The spot whereon he first set returning foot is now known as Hammerock Beach, and on that night, being unable to cross the North River, he camped out on the sandy shore. During the night, the party was awakened by a peculiar sound. Upon investigating it, it was found that the noise was occasioned by the rolling of pebbles in the moving tides. And they named the place the Humming Rock, and it was subsequently called Hummer Rock, and as such, the beach is known as today. Well, the party went inland the next day sleeping safe, as they supposed, from prying eyes. And the following evening, as darkness shut down the day, conveyed their treasure to the one-time home of the expatriated owner. Scarcely had the gold been hidden in a closet, and the entire party was murdered by spying enemies. The wealth was stolen, and that is the ghost story. Older residents of Marshfield could tell, if they would, of the appearance and reappearances in the upper window of the house of seeing all these victims and the criminal himself standing there, all blood-stained and covered in water. It was even said on moonlit nights, so the legend goes, that the ghosts keep guard on the lawn, warding off inquisitive visitors and causing everyone, as they pass the mansion, to step aside and give it the space that it deserves. Our next story was published in the Waterbury Democrat in October of 1900. The headline read, New York Railway Men Affected by the Memory of a Dead Face at a Window. Some houses are haunted to some people, and all right to others, said an engineer on the Ninth Avenue Elevated Road. 
There is a house on our line that is haunted to the men who have been on this run for a few years back. Maybe you remember the story. It was printed when the incident happened. One of our men noticed a man's face at the window overlooking the road. Every time the train passed for three days, I believe, the engineer had seen that face. And it was always the same. Then he told somebody else about it. And on investigation, it was discovered that the man at the window was dead. He occupied the room alone. There was no one else in the house. He had killed himself. And in a note found on his table, it was written that the man was lonesome and that he had raised the window just before the act so that he might die in the noise of the city. That was all there was to the story. Ever since that time, every engineer and fireman on the line who was employed at that time turns his face away in passing of that house. I have heard them all speak of it, and to each of them that house is haunted. Although it is now occupied and I don't suppose the people who live there know anything about the story. I know I have tried to forget it, but just before my engine passes it, the recollection of the dead face at the window comes back to me, and it's either close my eyes or look away in an opposite direction. And speaking of railways, let's take a look at a curious poem that was published in 1934. It was written by a woman named Joyce Kilmer, and it's called The House with Nobody in It. And it's so evocative of all of those abandoned-looking places that we might travel past here in New England, and we sort of romanticize what it would be like if we owned the house, or perhaps who we might encounter Um, while we were taking care of the house. So again, this is The House with Nobody in It by Joyce Kilmer. Whenever I travel to Suffern along the Erie track, I go by a poor old farmhouse with its shingles broken in black. I suppose I've passed it a hundred times, but I always stop for a minute And look at the house, the tragic house, the house with nobody in it. I never have seen a haunted house, but I hear there are such things. That they hold the talk of spirits, their mirth and sorrowings. I know this house isn't haunted, and I wish it were, I do. For it wouldn't be so lonely if it had a ghost or two. The house on the road to Suffern needs a dozen panes of glass, and somebody ought to weed the walk and take a scythe to the grass. It needs new paint and shingles, and the vine should be trimmed and tied. But what it needs most of all is some people living inside. If I had a lot of money and all my debts were paid, I'd put a lot of men to work with brush and saw and spade. I'd buy that place and fix it up the way it used to be, and I'd find some people who wanted a home and give it to them for free. Now a new house standing empty, with staring window and door, looks idle perhaps and foolish, like a hat on its block in the store. But there's nothing mournful about it. It cannot be sad and lone, 
for the lack of something within it is something it's never known. But a house that has done what a house should do, a house that has sheltered life, that has put its loving wooden arms around a man and his wife, a house that has echoed a baby's laugh and held up its stumbling feet, is the saddest sight when it's left alone that your eyes could ever meet. So whenever I travel to Suffern along the eerie track, I never go by the empty house without stopping and looking back. Yet it hurts me to look at the crumbling roof and the shutters fallen apart, for I can't help thinking the poor old house is a house with a broken heart. A very strange, superstitious ghost story comes from the Hartford Current in January of 1905. The headline read that a house was torched to save a girl's life. And it went on to say her lover killed himself there and that friends were quite superstitious. The story goes that a fire in a small unoccupied house near the Southington Station shortly after one o'clock this morning was without a doubt of incendiary origin and prompted through superstition. The house is owned by Mrs. Maria Turbert and is a story and a half frame structure and stood for about a dozen years and it was originally occupied by Frank Jimity and his family. The story goes that one of the boarders, his name was Maurice DeFalio, and he had courted Jiminy's daughter, Catherine. On November 14th, they had some sort of fight or dispute, which resulted in DeFalio taking his own life after first shooting Catherine, whose wounds for several days left her in critical condition. The family moved out. And the doctor said that Catherine had contracted malaria and that she would not get better until that malaria had gotten out of her system. Despite the situation that Catherine found herself in, she still grieved for DePalio. And it was thought that it was her grief that had attracted the ghost to remain in the house. A family friend who was interviewed by the newspaper had said that it was his belief that if the house had burned down, that perhaps the ghost would go away and Catherine would get well. So mysteriously, or maybe not so mysteriously, the house did end up burning to the ground. And isn't it odd? Call it a coincidence, if you will. Catherine got better after the fire and the stories of the ghost were no more. Well, I hope you enjoyed that short collection of strange, eerie, and superstitious stories. And speaking of superstitions, we are so close to the new year right now. And it's an interesting time to, you know, think about putting the the past behind you and starting something new. But I will tell you, in New England, there were some very odd superstitions that people believed and they actually practiced going into the new year. One of the interesting ones that I had found was something called New Year's Day Calling. 
And what would happen is um, you would go ahead and make a large meal, leave your door open, and this large meal was truly a feast. And you leave the door open for anybody that wanted to stop by. And you sort of keep track of who came by and who didn't come by. But it was an opportunity for people to make amends. So if, you know, there was a disagreement or an argument in the previous year, you wanted to start the new year off on a good foot, so to speak. So you would go over, have the meal, and sort of let bygones be bygones, um, which is kind of interesting. It was an interesting way to start the year of, you know, the past is the past, um, to, you know, settle all of the differences. So if you wanted to sort of invite that, again, you would make that, um, that big feast and then see who showed up. There were also um, divination games to sort of foretell what the year ahead would be like. And kind of similar to what you would find around Halloween time, there was an odd game where, of course, you know, the young ladies who were trying to find out how their romantic prospects were going to go in the upcoming year is they would um, all sit in a circle in a room with piles of corn in front of them. And if you can imagine, a rooster would be let into the room and whatever girl or whatever pile the rooster went over to first was said to be foretelling of the girl that would marry within that year. So if you were the one that was sitting there with the pile of corn again that was chosen by the rooster, then it was your lucky year. Well, speaking of the new year, um, I had mentioned earlier that I am currently in the editing process for the next book that is coming out. So this is my 10th book. Can you believe we're into double digits already? We're filling up the shelf with books. So um, the next book that is coming out, in case you missed it, is about New England um, sea glass folklore and history. If you are a beachcomber, this is going to be such a fun read for you. There's everything from haunted beaches to shipwrecks to strange tales from the shore. And of course, a really definitive list of where to go exploring, um, how these beaches are different, uh, because every beach has its own story. We're even going to talk about some lost amusement parks that are in there, um, you know, a lot of lighthouse lore, and um, hopefully it will inspire you to go and explore New England's amazing and ever-changing uh, shoreline. So I am, like I said, in the editing process for that. I'm hoping that pre-orders will be able to go up um, really soon. As soon as they do, I will send out the information in uh, New England Curiosities newsletter, which hopefully you are getting the newsletter. Um, all you have to do in case you're not receiving it is go over to newlandcuriosities.com and there is a little box that will pop up and I send out a newsletter um, usually every couple of months. Um, throughout the year, giving you some of the latest uh, news and information on some of the things that are coming up. So um, you can go ahead and check that out. But I will keep you apprised of this next book. And it does have a 
color section to it. There's going to be lots of color photographs of my collection of beach finds um, over the years. There's some really odd and unusual things that I can't wait to share with you. So this is going to be a perfect uh, road trip companion for taking an adventure really any time of the year with just so much legends and uh, lore. Um, I really had such a blast writing this and I can't wait to share it with you. So um, I think that will bring this episode of A Wicked Curious to an end. And I really, really appreciate you um, sticking with me. Uh, and of course, um, I want to wish you a very happy new year. We have so much to do together, so many stories, so many more episodes of Wicked Curious to come. I definitely want to give a, a shout out to all of those of you that support me on Patreon to make this show happen. I could not do this radio show without you. Thank you so much. Um, there's all sorts of new things happening over on our Patreon page. If you want to go and check that out, um, even just, you know, three or five dollars a month really helps keep this uh, this show going. And um, again, I really so appreciate all of that. So for now, I am going to bid you a fond farewell so if you really enjoy our show, a review would be great. Um, you can feel free also, as I said, to check us out on social media, RoxyZW on Instagram, New England Curiosities on Facebook. And until we chat again, my friends, as always, stay spooky. <laughs>